Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock Him Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. A merry FCS week to you and to all of your loved ones. We are fully in, involved in SEMO week and all that entails, which typically leads to just coaches talking about how good the FCS team actually is and how we could definitely lose this game. <laughs> which it's a, it's a tradition as old as time, and I love it. BK, how you doing, man? I'm good. It's nice to have a less stressful week this week. I know for Mm. Eli Drinkwitz and his staff, I'm sure that they are taking this every bit as seriously as they would any other game, as they have said many a time so far this week already. But for us on the outside looking in, we don't have to feign that this is going to be a close game. It's not going to. (laughs) And if it is, then we got much bigger issues to talk about here at Mizzou. Mm -hmm. I don't expect that to be the case. So We can take a little bit of a look back at Kentucky once again, revisiting a couple of the things that are some of the leftovers that we maybe have missed or that are kind of left on the pile. And we can talk about some of the other interesting comments that have been made this week. But the game itself is maybe the least important thing that has happened so far this week. I would agree. I would agree. Let's let's close the book on Kentucky. I watched that stupid thing two two or three more times um, and. I put it up in, in beyond the box score on Tuesday. Um, you all can read it at rockingnation.com. There's a couple of things that surprise me first and foremost, uh, success rates. Now a success, a successful play is a play on first down that gets 50% of the yards, a play on second down that gets 70% of the yards needed. And then third and fourth down, you're getting 100% of the yards needed. That's a successful play. And a success rate just looks at, okay, of all the plays that you ran, in a specific amount of time, how many were successful. And I like to break it down by quarter and they, the game does that for us. So I might as well take advantage of that and gives us four 15 minute periods. It's really easy to break it down that mm-hmm. way. Uh, Missouri's success rate in the first quarter was 67% and Kentucky's was 53. And I was like, I'm sorry. What is, is that true? Is that absolutely sure? And I went back and I counted it multiple times and that was true. The issue is that Kentucky was rattling off a bunch of plays that were successful at a 53% success rate and going up 14, nothing. Whereas Missouri did not run as many plays. Uh, The ones they did were incredibly successful, but the ones that they didn't uh, were not enough to convert. And then they didn't get as many opportunities. So the Missouri offense outside of quarter four was actually really, really effective. And if you needed advanced stats to tell you that, or your eyeballs told you that like they both agreed the offense was very good. Uh, they kind of fell apart in the fourth quarter when they had to pass and they had to cap- catch up. But um, 
there was one unit on the field on Saturday that was SEC ready, and um, it certainly wasn't the defense. No, it, it definitely wasn't the defense. I thought overall the offense was okay. Um, I, I didn't think it was great by any stretch. They definitely didn't have the explosive plays in the passing game that you would want them to, and that's something they're going to have to get figured out moving forward. But in general, I thought the the offense was fine. You were going up against a pretty good defense, a defense that has some legit talent along the defensive line in particular, and I thought they were solid. You are going to need more out of your offensive line moving forward, especially in the running game. Most of that was created by Tyler Beatty. Everything mm-hmm. that they got, it was created by him as opposed to by the offensive line. There's a lot you can learn from that game. But the offense as a whole, I, I don't think that was the reason they lost against Kentucky. I'll put it that way. I agree. And looking at the reason why Missouri's defense certainly doesn't seem like an SEC unit uh, you really only had to look at the rushing stats. Um, it was it was blood, just blood everywhere, out your ears, out your eyes, in your mouth. Um, Kentucky and their offensive line, and specifically their rushing game, made Missouri look like an FCS defense. Ah, sticking to the theme of the week. Um, you would be hard-pressed to find a team that whose offensive line can open up 3.4 yards of space for their running back to run before they even get touched. That has a success rate of 57, almost 58%. An opportunity rate, again, opportunity rate is how many of your runs got four yards at least. They got 64% of their runs got four yards. They only had one run stuffed at the line. And if a running back got four yards, on average, they went another seven yards on top of that. These are, again, this is what it looks like when an FBS team plays an FCS team except this was Kentucky's offensive line versus Missouri's defense. So mm-hmm. not great. Um, this is probably something that this is something you want to shoot for when Missouri plays SEMO this week. But again, Kentucky's offensive line, very good, very highly rated. Their running game, always good. Their running backs, excellent. And they, they really just destroyed Missouri's defensive line. They shredded them in every possible way. Missouri's defensive line looked bad from start to finish. Their linebackers... I think it's a legit question as to who looked worse, and that's a problem for Missouri because neither of them was good. Um, The front seven, front six in this defense as a whole, just they never had any answers. And that I think that's what's most frustrating to me, Nate. It's one thing for you to lose on a lot of plays. If you're able to win big on some of them, okay, you can live with it, right? If you've got these dudes, like I remember it's an NFL comp, but I, I think it applies here. It was the Chiefs versus the Rams on Monday Night Football, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners probably watched that game. It was like 55-52, I think was the end score, something like that. It was an unbelievably high-scoring game. This was a few Mm -hmm. years ago now. And if you just look at the score, you're like, wow, there was no defense played in that game. It's not totally accurate. The defense has actually scored, I think it was either two or three touchdowns in that game. And the defense has made huge, huge game-changing plays throughout as well. There were turnovers, there were sacks, there were big-time TFLs. You can live with a defense that's giving up some big-time plays if you're also able to create those havoc, tackles-for-loss, toxic plays for the offense. Missouri's defense didn't do that against Kentucky. It was just all big plays, and then when you got a good play defensively, it was giving up three yards on the ground, giving up four yards on the ground on a second and six. And that's just not good enough. That's not the type of thing that's going to be able to win you a football game, much less keep you in it. 
So moving forward, I think that's the thing that I would like to see more of. Where's Trajan Jeffcoat? Let's get him going a little bit. Uh, these these corners that made some big plays in week one, you got to get them going again. Jalen Carlisle is probably the only guy that really made big plays against Kentucky. I liked seeing that. Let's see even more of it moving forward. So this is a defense that has players that we've seen in the past that are capable of making those plays. Against SEMO, they should make them. But moving forward, that's what they're going to need. In the, in, the modern, in the modern era of football, it is offensively powered. That's true for high school. It's true for college. It's true for the pros. You know, Nick Saban, uh, seven years ago, you know, banged on his lectern and with a little bottle of Coke shaking, he said, is this what we want football to be? Is this what we want it to be? And we overwhelmingly said yes. And so Nick Saban turned his team into an air raid offense with a very aggressive pass rushing defense. So what I'm saying is that whatever level of football you play, the offense is going to do really well. Because of that, it doesn't make a lot of sense to look at, you know, judging a defense by points given up by total yardage, whether that be on the ground or through the air. Like there's just so many plays run in the game anymore. So many more possessions than what it used to be that even the best defenses, they're going to give up yards and they're going to give up points. That's just how this game works now. So going back to your Rams chiefs bit there. Yes. You want to look at havoc and really kind of what defensive coordinators are looking at now in addition to Havoc, is yards per play. Yards per play, right? If you know that you're going to give up 70 plays, like, okay, you can come up with a pretty decent idea of how many yards that you want to give up. In the college game, typically you're looking at about, you know, God, if you can keep it at five or under, you're doing really, really well. Well, Missouri's offense on the 11th against Kentucky, their yards per play was 5.2. Kentucky's was 7.8. Mm-hmm. And going back to your comp, it's like, well, okay, if you're giving up that many yardage, well, you're creating havoc plays to kind of blow them up and get them behind the sticks, right? No, no. <laughs> havoc rate that you want to see is usually in the 20s, 22, 24. If you want to stop a good offense, you probably need to be looking at, you know, 35, 40. Yeah, Missouri was at 18%. <clears throat> 18. So you're getting gashed for a ton of yards per play. You are not blowing anything up. Um, yeah, that's, that's the sign of a very bad defense. Now, Steve Wilkes took full credit for the disaster, which that's fine, man. I don't blame you hundred percent. You didn't have much of a hand coming in, but okay. I appreciate you uh, stepping up and hmm. taking ownership. He said he's going to, uh, coach from the booth, uh, for at least SEMO, see how that works. I uh, put out on Twitter. I'm not sure where he sits is going to fix the defensive line, but you know what? Let's, let's give it a shot. Right, if you want to try something out, the FCS game is a good place to try it out. Um, but they are—they are definitely. We're week three, and we're all like, "Hey, let's just try anything to fix this." Uh, so that's not great. Um, but the, it, like we said in the last show, like this is just going to be a problem all year. And you hope that the defense can make a few plays, keep the yards for play, God, at least under six, um, and just hold on for dear life and hope your offense wins. So it's. Could be a very pointsy kind of year, very stressful year, but that's that's where we're at. I'm just hoping that they're able to find guys defensively that can create that kind of thing. Like I thought coming into the season, Kobe Whiteside might be one of those players. It just feels like that's not going to happen. I, I think no. last year we we 
honed in on it as being a COVID weird injury plagued season. And it may still be Mm -hmm. that that's what's the problem now, that he's just not the same player that he was because of injuries. And that's fine. Like this is no shot against Kobe, but two years ago, he had explosiveness that we're just not seeing from him right now. And it's been two weeks. Maybe you can turn it around. I'm not feeling like that is likely at the moment, but I I have hope Makai Wingo has shown some things. Trajan Jeffcoat, we know, is a good football player that'll get there. But who are the other guys that can step up and make those big time plays? Blaze Aldridge had a rough That's game in week one or two, week one and week two, frankly. But yeah, he made plays yeah. in week one. And if he can just get back to being that guy consistently, not, not three and a half sacks, but if he's consistently making plays behind the line of scrimmage, even if it means giving up some big plays as well, I can live with that at this point because I know this defense isn't going to be particularly good at the linebacker spot. But you've got to be able to get some of those big time plays behind the line of scrimmage as well. And this week he didn't have either of them. No, no, he didn't. Like you said, it's a long season. He can turn it around, but if this is rust from essentially not playing in the COVID year, like this is a lot of rust, a lot. And what the most bizarre thing, you know, Akil Byers, what the heck happened to that guy? What the heck happened to that guy? 2018. I think he was playing defensive. I think he was at in. He was kind of just both. When 2018, he had 17 tackles, uh, one and a half tackles for loss, six and a half sack or six and a half run stuffs. And and really, you know, he was he was a disruptive presence kind of all over wherever he was. And like, oh man, man, if we could just get this guy one spot, he'd tear it up. Where has he been? He's got a half sack to his name in five years. He's got. Uh, four and a half tackles for loss in five years, less than a tackle for loss per year that he's been on the field. Like at this point, we just got to admit that he's not good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He's not, he is not an sec lineman and that's okay. That's okay. But this is who we're trouting out. There's no one else to replace him. And I know you all are probably yelling at your, you know, at your device, like, well, we'll put in a, put in Ben key, you know, put in uh, you know, Mickey Wingo or Mikai Wingo. They are. <laughs> Wingo has taken a lot of snaps. Ben Key is just not the answer. Defensive end is the same thing. You're you're rolling out Chris Turner. Chris Turner. I'm sure a great guy. We said this in the last show. Excellent guy. Glad he's representing the university. He's got a tackle per game over the past 48 games. That's it. Like, Eli Drink was talked about. He's talking about practice. You know it's FCS week, but you also know he's mad because he was talking about practice. And he was talking about the players who are playing are the ones who have shown that they can play at this level in practice. And no one else has shown that. So you see Johnny Walker because he can show him during the week that he can get a grasp on the playbook, study, work hard. You see Chris Turner. I think his talent is that he works mm-hmm. hard at practice. You see Isaiah McGuire, you see Trajan Jeffcoat, you don't see Jatorian Hansford, you don't see Daniel Robledo, you don't see Travian Ford, because they're not showing Eli Drinkwitz and Steve Wilkes that they give a crap. (laughs) And if you're not doing that in practice, you're not going to get a chance in game day. And so we're just trotting out these guys and no one else is stepping up because no one else seems to show that they care. That's not great, BK. It's really not great. So... Here's something that I find interesting because I'm almost of two minds and I need you to help me on this. 
hopefully I'm speaking for a lot of fans that are listening to us right now. So first, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment. If a guy is a bad practice player, but is a good game player, you're not going to find that out unless you give it a shot first. And normally you don't care about this if the guys in front of him are playing well, right? Like if Arden Walker, for example, is not practicing well right now, he's a freshman, he's just not quite tacking on to things the way that you would hope that he would, whatever, right? If Chris Turner and Isaiah McGuire and Trajan Jeffcoat were playing well, okay, no harm, no foul. He's not a good practice player, so he doesn't see the field, and we all move forward and don't think anything of it. But because the guys in front of him are struggling right now and aren't playing very well, is it worth giving him a shot? I know you're rewarding him not being a good practice player, and you don't want to do that as a coach. I totally understand that. And maybe this is a culture thing where they know this is not going to be a big year for them um, as a team. And so it's it's more important to build those habits at practice than it is to put the best, most talented players on the field, uh, even if it gives them a better chance to win. I could maybe see that point as well. But is there a certain point when you've just got to try it? Because I don't, I'm not guaranteeing that it's going to be better. But it's possible that it is. And it might be worse. But it's possible that it's not, given how poorly things have gone for Missouri defensively this year. At, at what point in your mind, Nate, does this become a, you know what, let's throw everything at the wall and see what sticks kind of a situation? I don't think it's week three, <laughs> but is it week no. seven, eight, nine, ten? At what point do we get there? I mean, I want to answer your question first with another question. Does Eli Drinkwitz think his job is in jeopardy? No. No. So it's whenever he wants to. <laughs> and I don't think he feels the pressure. I feel like he knows that he bought goodwill with a 5-5 five and five 2020 season, and he did. I think he knows that he is recruiting really well, and that's also buying some goodwill, which it is. And I think he is trying to establish culture. Maybe if you have one win <laughs> in like week six, and you go, well, I don't think they're going to be happy if I only have three wins and this and the schedule's getting harder. Like I think there is a breaking point. My guess would be you lose to BC, you lose to Tennessee, North Texas gives you a run for your money, stuff like that, right? Like that's when you go, "All right, all right, I got to actually win some games here. Culture be damned. We're going to build our culture around winning." <laughs> so let's do that. Um I think there is a scenario. I don't know exactly what it is, but that would be my spin. But again, this is not just a drink. Odom did the same thing too. Pinkle did too, right? Emmanuel Hall could not get on the field because he couldn't practice for beans and his only trick was to run a nine route. Now, it was a hell of a trick. <laughs> it worked awesomely. Once Demetrius Mason was dismissed from the team, they had no choice but to trot Hall out there. And oh, by the way, he just created one of the best deep ball threats Missouri football has ever seen in its entire existence with him and Drew Locke. But that was circumstances of, well, we got to trot somebody out there. You almost need like an injury or a, a suspension or a dismissal or something like that to get these guys to let go of their process or whatever they're calling it and just putting guys out there to fill in the spot. I don't think we're in that, in that situation right now. I think you can start to see that against SEMO, although it's going to be SEMO. So it's like, well, even the coaches are going to take it with a grain of salt, I'd like to think. But they are going to see the work ethic, how much effort you're putting into it. And here is your chance. What do you do with it? Um, 
So my hope is that Drinkwitz is not true to his word, believe it or not. I do hope that he doesn't keep Tyler Beatty and Connor Basilak and the offensive line out there for the entire game because he doesn't think people are practicing well enough. I hope that's not the case. I hope he gives a couple of these guys a shot just to see what they can do in live fire action. Otherwise, it's going to be a very long season. If you want to do that for culture, that's fine. But she also, don't yeah. she also want to see what else you have, even if they're not good practice? Well, that's practice the thing. Guys, is you, know? you mentioned the Emmanuel Hall one. I mean, that was clearly a mistake. Not getting Emmanuel Hall in the field earlier was a, a bad decision by that coaching staff. And we found out eventually that he was their their clear best option at the receiver position. And he was one of the most explosive players that we've seen in a Mizzou uniform in the last 10 years. So looking back on that, yeah, you would have liked to have seen more possibilities of him getting onto the field. So I, I just hope they're not doing that again now. And I don't know who the guy is. There's there, there's no way to know, right? Is it Connor Wood on the offensive line? Should he be getting more opportunities right now? Is it Arden Walker at defensive end? Is it Jatorian Hansford? I, I would guess, guess probably not. But who is the guy that if he saw the field right now, he'd be getting more splash plays than who they have out there right now. I think this is a bigger issue defensively than it is on offense, because right now you're making do offensively Agreed. on defense, though, at some Agreed. point, you just need playmakers out there, even if they make mistakes and they're not in the right place at the right time. Every once in a while, <clears throat> I can live with that. And I know coaches hate, hate what I'm about to say, but I can live with that <laughs> if they're able to make the splash play every once in a while, because right now, even the guys that you're putting out there, yeah, maybe they end up in the right place, but they're not making the play. So what's it matter that they're in the right place whenever they're, they're there? They're not. It is completely on the defense. And like, I don't know. I, I said before the season, I was like, hey, let's just embrace a youth movement. <laughs> right? Let's put every young guy out there we can. And I understand like that's that's not a. That is not a that's not a reasonable way to win football games. I'm with you, man. What can Travian Ford do, right? Can he can he bend around that tackle and, and create a tackle for loss or a sack or, or hurry the throw? I don't know. I'd like to see him try. You know, Dalen Carnell. Throw him out there in the in the nickel. I know he's tall. That's a Got great that's a great one. That that that's exactly what I'm talking about. His film in high school looked like he'd be ready to play right away. Let's see what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Why not? But it just seems like there's just no one there. And, and like, I, I get it. You know, Kai Montgomery, Jonathan Jones, they're gone for the season. Okay, you're not trotting them out. Cannon York, he's a sophomore walk-on. Daniel Robledo, sophomore Juco transfer. Jorian Ansford Jr. Like, the guys who are behind the guys are older. Okay, Johnny Walker is young, but he's seeing the field. Arden Walker is young. He is kind of seeing the field. Like, you don't have a lot of options, especially at defensive tackle. You're going to trot out Ben mm -hmm. Key. Realist George, like they're old. The guy Wingo is the young guy and he's already in the rotation. So like there really isn't any, any backup linebackers. Jamie Petway. Haven't seen him play yet. He is apparently the second stream behind Devin Nicholson. Do, do, seen are we play. sure? Are Chad we sure? Billig. No, <laughs> he's on the, he's on, his name is on the piece of paper. I, it doesn't seem like that's, that's the a case. spot where I would like to see the freshman. Uh, uh, not now. Yeah, Damian not Wilson, now, not now. Will Norris. Let's let's give it a little bit more time here. All of the things that we're talking about, by the way, the only reason we're talking about them right now is because SEMO is this week and we actually might see some of them yes. this weekend. But yes. I'm not talking about week 
four against Boston College or maybe even week five. But as you get to the second half of the season, these are the types of things that you have to start learning about for for not just 2021, but 2022 and beyond. And like this is part of program building. You you get the young guys some experience, get get their knocks in now. So when they are they do assume control over the first string that they are ready and they've seen some they've seen some action. These are the games that can do that. Uh, Drinkwitz is not dumb. Obviously, he's saying these comments in public because he wants his team to hear that in public and he wants to challenge them in public. That's that is a tactic that Saban has used forever. It's what a tactic that every coach has used of all time. Use the media to talk to your team and get them motivated. So it's it's fine. I just hope that that's all it is and that we don't see Blaze Aldridge and Devin Nicholson struggling to take down a SEMO running back in the fourth quarter because. You're not doing yourself any favors in that situation. You're just taking the guys that you have and trying to get them better for this year when you should be building towards the next couple of years and getting that experience uh, on the roster. My hope is that all of this is a moot point and we get to SEMO and they start gaining a little bit of traction because they should. And then you go up against Boston College, who it looks like is probably going to be without their starting quarterback. Big blow for them, but yeah. hopefully Mizzou's able to take mm-hmm. advantage of it there. Tennessee stinks, man. That that team's not very good this year. Um, North Texas has a pretty decent offense from what I can gather, but hopefully Missouri's defense is good there. And now you've got a... F- they got blown out yeah. by SMU. Like, it was not so even So hopefully you're able to go on a little four-game run here over the next four weeks. And then you're going up against Texas A&M and we'll find out once and for all exactly what this Missouri defense is, is made of. And by the way, their quarterback is also hurt right now. So we'll, we'll see, man. It, it's going to be interesting to see what the, how this is able to come together, because we've also got to keep in mind they're learning a new scheme. They've got a new guy in charge of mm-hmm. everything. He is reportedly going to be up in the booth this week so that way he can keep tabs better on what's going on with the packages offensively. Apparently there was a little bit of a miscommunication on one of the touchdowns last week because of that. Mm -hmm. So maybe that helps. Maybe you do have one or two guys that start getting subbed in a little bit more often. And if, if a couple of these smaller tweaks are able to take shape, you're able to maybe get into more of a slightly below average defense instead of being a flat out bad defense. And I know that sounds like I'm really kind of poking at the edges here, but that that's what we've got to do in this kind of a season. I mean, credit, credit where credit is due. The past defense is not that bad. They didn't have, they haven't seen a lot of passes and like, we're kind of confused as to why the starters are what they are. Uh, it sounds like a Caleb Evans is also equally confused as to why he's not starting. Uh, he retweeted uh, my depth chart piece with just the hmm. dot, 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 dot. So he seems a little confused as well, but Hey, he's still seeing the field. He's leading the, the, the cornerbacks and snaps. Um, but this, the, 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 this defense is powered by its secondary, which isn't terrible. They got moments, but they're not terrible. This defense is 53rd in the nation, according to SP plus. So there's been some really bad defensive performances out there. Uh, the offense is 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 uh you know is certainly doing better, um, 65th or it's doing okay at 65th. But like, I don't know. We've the run defense is so bad it just completely colors your view <laughs> in such a negative light. There's just no way to to kind of look around it. But um, you know, Simo likes to run the ball. We're not very good at it, so. It's either going to be a long day or it's going to be a get right game and the, and the, and the run defense kind of gets its feet underneath it. And I'm certainly hoping for the latter. 
Yeah. And it, like I said, this is the week to do it. So let, let's get to SEMO real quick. Um, you put up the preview earlier today as people are listening to this. They can go check out your preview for this game uh, over at rockgamnation.com. I'm assuming you're expecting the uh, the upset in this one? Uh, no, 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 no. I mean, look, Drink was just saying all the right stuff, right? He, he put up every team... Every FCS team that's beating an FBS team this week, uh, this year, he put it in everyone's locker room. He's talking about SEMO is set up to take advantage of the thing that they can't do on defense. He talked about how their special teams is super disruptive and blocked 12 kicks so far. All, all true. All absolutely true. The point that he's leaving out is that the FCS teams who have pulled an upset over an FBS team, the FCS teams have been elite, like top 25 elite. And the FBS teams have been trash garbage. So UC Davis is the seventh best FCS team in the country, beat 80, number 80 Tulsa. Eastern Washington, a perennial playoff team, beat the, one of the worst teams in the country in UNLV in double overtime. South Dakota State, you know the Jackrabbits, they're awesome. They beat Colorado State, uh, who also then turned around and lost to another FCS team in Vanderbilt. Boom, take it. Um, Holy Cross, 16th best team in FCS, took down UConn, which is barely an FBS team at all. Uh, ETSU beat Vanderbilt. Uh, UConn's so bad as a program, their coach literally after two weeks was like, yeah, I'm good, actually. He said I was going to retire, and they said, no, 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 you you leave. Go away. (laughs) I'll retire at the end of the season. No, you quit now. Um, So, like, Jacksonville State took down Florida State. That was kind of a weird one. And then, obviously, Montana took down Washington. Washington has a terrible, terrible offensive coordinator. So, like, there. the point is, is that, yes, FCS teams beat FBS teams a lot. They also tend to be some of the best FCS teams in the country, and SEMO is not that. So you're telling me SEMO is not a, not a great team. They're not like, for example, Montana or South Dakota State. You wouldn't put them up on that caliber? I would not. SEMO <laughs> is basically the Missouri of the FCS. Like the Tigers are the 65th best, 65th best team overall in FBS, according to SP Plus. SEMO is, uh, what I got on that, 66th? So 67th. Um, so basically, they're they're the exact same team at just at different levels. Um, SEMO's got blown out by Southern Illinois, and they got blown out by, um, what was it, South, Sam Houston State. So like, no. I, I don't think uh, this is a chance. Sammies. I don't think this is a chance where, where Missouri can lose. You know, Missouri has played uh, lots of FCS teams in the past 21 years. And, you know, the average score of those games is like 52 to 9. And that's when you consider the, the 2017 debacle against Missouri State. So Missouri tends to schedule FCS teams in a manner where they can actually beat them. And I really, I haven't seen anything that tells me that we're in any danger here. Missouri has fast players. That typically leads to big time plays. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remember, was it Delaware a few oh, years Delaware ago? Delaware State, one of the worst Delaware FCS State. programs in the world. Yeah, that that is, I'm not sure this is going to be to that degree, but I always think back to that game when I think of how FBS teams are able to just out-athlete FCS teams. 
like Missouri was just so much faster mm-hmm. and Drew Locke just threw deep balls the entire first half and it was over. And they ended up winning that like 67 to or uh, 63 79 to, like, to nothing is what you're looking yeah. for there. Yeah. I mean it it was a disaster for Delaware State. They never had a chance from the moment that they stepped on the field. This will not be that ugly. I I wouldn't expect. But Missouri has some playmakers like they did in that game, and they've got a quarterback that can take advantage of those playmakers. I think this is the first week where you really see Dominic Lovett have a big-time performance. I think you're going to see him with at least one big-time catch, and you mentioned that in your preview as well. You said you you think he catches at least one pass thrown more than 20 yards in the air. I think it's more like one uh, catch that's thrown more than 50 yards in the air. I think you're going to see a big-time play to Dominic Lovett in this one. Uh, I think you're going to see a guy like Elijah Young have a couple of big-time plays in the running game. Tyler Beatty will have a screen that ends up going for 60 yards. Those are the kinds of things that you see in a game like this. Man, I, I'm looking at my my records for that Delaware State game. Missouri scored 30 points in the first quarter. They scored 58 points in the first half, which mm-hmm. they had to do the running clock in the second half. Uh, they scored 79 overall. They scored 11 touchdowns in the game. That is a school record. (laughs) The second, by the way, is the other most dominating performance I've ever seen in my life, which was the 2008 game against Nevada uh, when they had scored nine touchdowns in one game. That was awesome. Um, But yeah, that Delaware State team, uh, Delaware State is is notoriously bad FCS team that can't even fill their scholarship limit at that level which is already below the scholarship level of F- limit of FBS. So they just, they suck real bad. SEMO um, is a little bit more competent. They have been to the playoff in recent years. This is a team that can do well, um, but Missouri has absolutely just schooled them year after year after year with teams that were way, way worse uh, than this one right here. So no, I'm not overly concerned. Uh, you saw my list. Uh, at Rock M of what I wanted to see. Uh, you mentioned Dominic Lovett. I'd like to see Elijah Young break off a big run. Uh, I like the tight ends to get involved in the passing game a little bit more. Um, I want to see Brady Cook, maybe Tyler Macon. Of those of the offensive stuff that I have listed there, is there anything else that I didn't mention that you would like to see uh, from the Tigers this weekend? Interesting. Um, I I don't think so really you mentioned Mookie Cooper with a screen pass going for at least 20 Mm -hmm. yards that's that is one thing that I would really like to see I I don't need to see a hundred yards in the receiving game for Mookie but it'd be nice to see him with one big play Mm -hmm. just a a play that reminds everybody oh yeah this guy was a five-star athlete Mm -hmm. and he's gonna do some things that other guys on this team just aren't capable of doing something like that would be nice to see uh, and you're talking specifically for the offense, just, right? Just for the offense right now. Yeah. Yeah. That that's probably the biggest one. And then most of the other ones that I've already mentioned are stuff that you have as well. So I, I think we're pretty much in line on this. I really don't care too much about what the backups do. And that's not a shot against any of the backups, but just because I, this season's not going to be about them. Mm-hmm. I would like to see my guy, Ryan horse camp do something yeah. impressive. That'd be fun. The horse out He's there. apparently the, the, backup to all of the guys that get real playing time at tight end Mm -hmm. so he'd probably be the guy that i'm most interested in watching as this game is no longer close in the fourth quarter i would love to see the horse get out there and do something um hopefully we have plenty of time to see it defensively that's where i want to see a little bit more 
You know, I want to see Trajan Jeffco put it together, you know, beat the tackle, take down the quarterback. I want to see Kobe Whiteside and Akil Byers like actually stuff a guy at the line. That'd be very novel and cool. Um, I want to see an interception from the corners. Mostly though, and I feel bad for the upperclassmen. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I want to see Johnny Walker. I want to see Jamie Petway. I want to see Arden Walker. I want to see Damian Wilson. I want to see Allie Green and Dalen Carnell. I want to see the Tyler safeties. I want to see, I want to see the youth that has been brought in. That's going to be on the defense in the next coming years. I want to see him on the field because all we've seen is, you know, yeah, you see a Caleb Evans, but it's almost everybody that we were playing last year and blaze. And just like, let's see what they can do, man. I know what drink said this week, but let's see what the backups can do. Come on. The biggest ones that I would love to see are at linebacker, right? Yeah. Like D- Damian Wilson. What what can he do in a game like this? Is he even going to see the field in a game like this? I don't know where Will Norris is on the depth chart right now in terms of like the internal depth chart, not the one that we see. But can he potentially impact this game in any way? Zach Lovett, he was just brought in this year at linebacker. Can he get in there and make some plays? Those are the types of guys that I'm super interested in because linebacker is such a a problem position for Mizzou right now that if they show some things, this is the type of game where in the third quarter, if those guys come in and look good, they could potentially earn themselves a little bit of playing time. Maybe they do end up capitalizing on that. They get more opportunities in practice that kind of sparks them next week. And suddenly you're watching them against Boston college in the middle of the second quarter, get a drive and they take advantage Mm -hmm. on that. They make a couple of plays and now they earn some trust. That's the type of thing that it's going to take for those those young players to start seeing more of the field. So the linebacker spot is one spot in particular that I'm most interested in seeing who the the freshman options are. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Jones early in camp was seemingly making some headway and then he broke himself. (laughs) Yeah, um, there's just not a whole lot of guys on the defensive line that I look at and I'm like, okay. That would make sense for this team. Kai Montgomery is not an option for them right now. So it Travian Ford, it doesn't sound like is ready. I, I don't think he's big enough. I mean, you yet. said it this summer that you didn't think he was ready. Yeah, based on just his, his high school film, he didn't look like a guy that was going to come in and contribute right away. And I know everybody's excited about him and you should be. He's going to be, I think, a good player. It's just going to take some time with him. So Johnny Walker Jr. might be your best opportunity for a young guy that can come in and make some plays. I don't think there's a whole lot else at the defensive line. I think this is really about the linebackers. I tweeted this out a couple nights ago, and I I, I can't stop thinking about fall camp and the rave reviews we heard about the offense and just not a thing from the defense. And that's usually Mm -hmm. not the case. The defense, you know, defense is a little bit different. Yes, you have plays. Yes, you have assignments. But so much of defense is like just effort and knowledge of the team you're going against. And so defenses tend to do really well at the beginning of camp. And then it evens out once the offense gels and they get their reps and all that stuff. We didn't hear a peep about any defensive player really making a ton of noise outside of Damian Wilson on special teams. And then you get into the games and you go, Oh, maybe that's why <laughs> maybe this this defense is just bad young and bad and again you don't just fix it but you gotta roll out some guys to get some experience so you can build it so that it can get fixed and i don't know what young guys technically qualify but yeah we gotta try some dudes at a linebacker in the line just 
just to see what happens. At this point, man, what could it hurt? Nothing. Because in the first two weeks of the season, you have been completely outclassed, completely outplayed a linebacker. And I was excited about Blaze. I was excited to see what Devin Nicholson could do. But there was that skepticism, the same way that there was with Kobe Whiteside. And I think this is an important lesson to be learned moving forward. And I, it doesn't really apply to anybody on Missouri's defense currently. But the next time that we see a potential top 75 pick playing for Mizzou, uh, be a little leery of what the guy is doing next to him. Yeah. So with Jordan Elliott next to Kobe Whiteside, we all just assumed, oh, Kobe Whiteside's the next guy in line. No, Jordan Elliott was just awesome and was double teamed on every play. So Kobe Whiteside was able to take advantage mm-hmm. of some of the matchups that he had. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing might have been true of Devin Nicholson playing next to a guy like Nick Bolton. Mm-hmm. Nick Bolton was so outstanding that everybody had to circle him on their scouting board. And so they would get into practice on Monday or Tuesday and they'd say, hey, make sure you're watching out for that linebacker in the middle with the dreads. That guy is awesome. <laughs> And so people wouldn't really pay as much attention to Devin Nicholson, and he's able to make plays as a result. Now he's the guy that's getting circled in those scouting reports, and he's not making as many plays. So that's something to keep in mind for the future. I don't. There's not really anybody that applies for that right now, but um, I, I think we made the same mistake twice, <laughs> and it ended up kind of biting us on both of those players going into the season, expecting more of them than maybe they're capable yeah. of. Uh, yes, uh, it's true. And I know we spend a lot of this, a lot of this show kind of blasting players. And I promise we'll get to some positive stuff. I do want to talk about your Tyler Beatty piece, but first, just other confusing roster situations, BK. Let me just get this out of my system. Sure. I know Tyler Beatty's really good, and so he demands the touches he's seeing the field. But we haven't really seen any other running backs other than Elijah Young. And, you know, God bless him. He's he's doing what he can. But Yon has, he's got seven rushes and a, and a, and a target through the air, eight touches, right? Like Tyler Beatty is sucking up all the oxygen in the running back room, which is deserved. But like, I'm really confused as to why we are not seeing any of the others. And in particular, I mean, we've seen Dawson Downing on the last drive of the Kentucky game. Dawson Downing was out there. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've seen Michael Cox take an entire series out there. Okay. Can we, can we, before we move forward, can we talk about that last series for just a second? Some of the personnel that was out there. <laughs> you want to talk about Barry Bannister wild. and Dawson Downey? <laughs> that, that was wild. Missouri was on its last legs and they needed a score. And they had Dawson Downing and Barrett Bannister on the field at the same time. And this is not a shot at either of those two players. But the only reason I even bring it up is because if they're your best options in that particular spot, then it's it's one of two things. Either they're not your best options in that particular spot, <laughs> mm-hmm. or they should be seeing the field more often before yeah. that particular spot. Those are your, your only two options there. So I, I was, to say the least, very surprised to see those two on the field in that moment. Yeah, very bizarre. And I love Barrett Bannister. He's an automatic first down whenever he catches the ball. But like, is that, is that what you want when you got a minute and 20 to go down the field? Like, I don't know. So like it go it might be in the middle of the second quarter yes. with third and three. Yeah. Maybe then. But like not with the game on the line. <laughs> not not with the game on the line. And Drinkwitz is saying he's not playing the long term. Like he's he's playing to win. And you trot out Dawson Downing and Parapanister. Again, no disrespect to those guys, but like you have a lot more dynamic playmakers than them, and that's that's who we had. So 
very weird, but it gets back to the running back question. When you've got Tyler Beatty, Dawson Downing, Michael Cox dominating snap counts, and you got BJ Harris and Taj Butts, where are they? Where are they? And in particular, I know BJ Harris got his number in practice. He was one of the first guys to get it. I am, I am just absolutely confused by butts. And you can use that out of context as much as you want, but like, where is Taj Butts? He is 5'10, he is 232. He had excellent tape from high school. And Michael Cox goes out there, a walk-on from Atlanta. Again, big dude, but like we have a guy who can do that. And we recruited him and we beat a lot of teams to get him. And we're trotting out Michael Cox. I don't understand, BK. I don't get it either. I don't have an explanation for you. I So I'll go this way. I think if that's your option, then I understand the Tyler Beatty thing being out there for basically every play. Yeah. And and that's where I would lean right now. Like, I think Beatty is so much better than all of their other options. I totally get why they're playing him as much as they are. That being said, you can't have a, a walk on as your next best option. It, it's got to be there. There's got to be another option that's better. And I I have to believe that there is. So. That's where I would like to see a guy like Harris get more opportunities, especially in a game like this weekend. Let's mm -hmm. see what he can do. Let's let's see where he's at right now in his development curve. And if he gets out there and he's doing stuff that doesn't make any sense and not making the right reads and all of that, okay, then we could talk next week and say, okay, yeah, it makes all the sense in the world <laughs> as to why Drinkwitz is using him the way he is. Mm -hmm. But for us on the outside end, we haven't learned that yet, so it would be nice to find out. And the other thing to keep in mind, and I think this this is probably more of a fan worry than a coaching staff worry, but you also got to realize guys can transfer one time and not have to sit out. So it is in their best interest to find a program that's going to fit for them. If you are interested in keeping these guys and developing these guys, it's probably in your interest to get them on the field too. Not saying like starter, not saying coming in at crunch time or like, Oh, well, you're going to see eight, eight series this year. And we guarantee that like, not, not necessarily that, but you want to show them that you are interested in them and what they can do. And again, I think the fans, we get these recruits and then we just want to hoard them and say, Oh, they're all mine. You know, and, and, and you mm -hmm. don't want to let them go. And you, you kind of take it personally. If they do transfer away, I get it. And sometimes I feel that way too. But at the same time, the coaching staff is going to put in the screws the way they want it to test this team and these players to see who really wants it. And I understand that maybe Missouri doesn't have the luxury of picking and choosing guys, but the transfer portal works both ways. And if some guy leaves because he doesn't like the way you're treating his playing time or you're treating his development, there's another guy out there in the portal that Missouri can bring in equally uh, to replace him. So I know that might be an aspect of like, Oh, well we should get these guys to play. I don't, I don't, I don't, think that's something that crosses the coach's mind unless it's like you know an elite level talent which they should be on the field anyway um but it is another aspect to think about when you're seeing who's seeing the field and who's not yeah like dominic lovett he had to see the field he this had year. to mookie he, cooper he had, he had to. to yeah absolutely Th those are the types of guys that you you would put into that category i don't think a guy like bj harris necessarily fits into that yeah. but in a game like this, he might, right? If he didn't get any opportunities in this game and it's 
Dawson Downing and Michael Cox and those guys are getting all of the play in the second half in front of him. Okay, then maybe he'd have some questions like, yo, what do I got to do to see the field against SEMO? If I'm not going to see it against SEMO, maybe I've got some bigger questions to ask about my future in this program. Mm -hmm. That's where a game like this can be super helpful for a coaching staff. And I know he said earlier this week, Eli Drinkwitz did like, Hey, this is not little league where Jimmy and Alex are going to be able to play the second half and everybody's going to get equal playing time. I I get where he's coming from there completely, but reality is that's kind of, that kind of is what this type of a game is. This is Eli Drinkwitz opportunity to be able to play those guys that, he knows need to see the field at some point this year. Mm-hmm. This is the game where you do that. Yeah. So I did want to touch on your Tyler Beatty piece because I loved it. It's probably why <laughs> I told you to write it, but um, it you were doing some historical comps, both with older Missouri players in their last year and other running backs around around the country. Um, you had some pretty good takeaways. What was the biggest thing that you learned while while writing this piece? Uh, biggest thing is that. Tyler Beatty is currently on a historically great pace. Mm-hmm. So you probably know by now, if you're a Missouri fan, Tyler Beatty currently leads the country in yards from scrimmage. That alone in and of itself is remarkable. What you might not know is just how that compares to other guys at the running back position in previous years. So I, I looked up kind of where he ranks historically compared to other players that have been outstanding in their first uh, two years, or excuse me, their first two games so far throughout the season. It, it's amazing, man. I mean, we're, we're talking about some of the best of the best. If you're looking for guys that have had 250 rushing yards and 100 receiving yards through the first two weeks of the season, the only other power five players to do so, because Tyler Beatty's one of them in the last 20 years, Christian McCaffrey, he did it in 2016. He was the last to do so. And there were 10 other dudes that have done it. Some notables of Mir Abdullah, Jay Ajayi, Joseph Randall, Steven Jackson. I mean, these are blasts from the past. Mm-hmm. It, he is on lists right now with some of the most productive players that we've seen in the 21st century in college football. It's very early. He's done this for two games. <laughs> I don't know how his body is going to hold up over mm-hmm. the course of a 12-game season. but. What he's done thus far is already historically great. And I think what maybe was most interesting to me for Missouri fans is how he has been able to carry over his efficiency Mm -hmm. with an increase in volume. Because you very rarely see that. A lot of the time, you'll see a guy that comes in for 10, maybe 15 touches per game, and they'll average, you know, six touches per game or six yards per touch. That's really impressive. That's a a pretty solid uh, yards per touch. If you're looking for a guy like that, that'd be like Marcus Murphy. Marcus Mm -hmm. Murphy was around like five and a half, six yards per touch. Tyler Beatty last year was at (laughs) 7.6, which is remarkable. Mm -hmm. This year, with an increase in volume, he's at seven and a half yards per touch. He's basically sustained the same yards per touch, so efficiency, with a dramatic increase in the volume that he's getting, and that is incredibly rare. You never see something like that from a running back, wide receiver, anything. When you get more touches, by virtue of that, it's typically less of those 
highly efficient touches. Now you've got to be the grinder, kind of like uh, Larry Roundtree a year ago, where, hey, man, his yards per yards per rush might not be all that sexy. But when you watch the game, you see why he's so important to this team. Beatty is now handling that role and his old role, and he's doing so to the tune of seven and a half yards per touch. <laughs> it's incredible. And what he's done so far is historic. And I, I hope that it doesn't get lost in the fact that Missouri's one and one and just had a really disappointing loss on the road at Kentucky because what he's doing right now, this is what a second or third round running back in the NFL draft looks like. And yeah. if he continues this, that's where he's going to go next year. Yeah. I feel like you see a lot of those guys at like the G5 level. Think of like your Mac players, Mountain West players. Daryl Henderson da- at David Fuellen, you know, yes. at, from Toledo. Like guys who are clearly the best dude on the team and you're in a G5 league and you're like, well, yeah, we're going to get it to our best guy. Um, I, I I do not like the man personally, but Eli Drinkwitz cited something that Coach Petrino uh, has has always kind of preached in his in his uh, stops is just feed it to the studs. Get it to the studs. Uh, Lane Kiffin does this all the time. He finds one or two players that are really good and just schemes everything around them. And that, that's what Eli Drinkwitz has done over the first two games. And they've been tight games and it makes a lot of sense. But like, yeah, when you, when you are trying to keep up and it's, it's got to win, give it to your, give it to your playmaker. And right now the playmaker on the team is Tyler Beatty and uh, the yards and the production certainly speak for themselves. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, man. And I'm, I'm like, I have officially run out of words to describe the season that he's having thus far. And it's like it's, I said, it's super early. It's, yeah. it's two games. Yeah. And so I, I have no idea where it goes from here, but there's every reason to believe that he's going to continue this stuff. And I think that's what's so remarkable to me is you're watching a guy who's 195 pounds and all the questions were before the season, you know, how is he going to hold up to this increase in workload? And can you really give that guy 20 touches a game? Well, he's already up to 39 carries in the first two games of the season. Forget touches, carries 20, basically 20 carries per game. Mm -hmm. That's not what you would expect when you watch him step onto the field, but he's doing it. He's doing it incredibly well. I do think I would like to see a little more of Elijah Young as the season goes on. Same. And that's that's going to dip into Tyler Beatty's touches and his production. And he probably won't lead the the country in yards from scrimmage at the end of the year. But despite all of those things, what he's done already has been something worth writing about, certainly. And for Mizzou fans, it's something worth celebrating. This is one of the more exciting players in the country in 2021. And he's on your football team. Yeah. And that's. That's pretty cool. And by the way, another thing worth noting, you have a coach that knows how to get him involved. Yeah, that too. And I, I think that's that's pretty awesome as well, because there's a whole hell of a lot of coaches throughout the country that do not know how to use players like Tyler Beatty. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of coaches that would have kept him in the exact same role that he's had so far throughout his career. And he would have been wasted in that role this year, given the talent that he has. So I grew up watching Missouri football um, early, mid 90s. Tyler Beatty's reminding me of Darren Sproles. Remember that guy? Oh, wow. 5'6", 182, dripping wet, right? But that guy was just a dynamic running back. And, you know, they ran a lot of option in the 90s. Like, think triple option. Um, with 
you know, with Bill Snyder and, and that's, that's how they did it. And, but you know, Darren Sproles went into the NFL and was, he kept doing it as a special teamer. He caught passes out of the backfield. He could run it. Um, I'm not saying this is a one-to-one comp, but it just reminds me of like what Darren Sproles did to other teams. And yeah, yeah. Tyler Beatty's doing it for Mizzou, which is pretty cool. You know who he reminds me of a little bit? And I, I'm not saying what this guy has gone on to do in the NFL. I don't think that Beatty's going to be this player in the NFL, but the player that you saw Alvin Kamara be at Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. There's some of that in what we're watching right now from Beatty. I don't think he's like Alvin Kamara light. He's not at the same explosive level as Kamara was when he was at Tennessee. I mean, that guy was just he was insane, but and he's got some of that. Too, I would add 100 percent. Yeah. Like, and, and that's the thing that I was talking about. Like Kamara clearly should have been utilized more than he was. He finished his junior season before he left for the NFL with 140 touches. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he was averaging 12 touches per game. Yeah, that's dumb. That there's a reason why that coaching staff is no longer around at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Missouri's not going to do that. They're not going to waste Beatty the way that Tennessee wasted Alvin Kamara's best years. But that's that's kind of the guy the the style of player that you're watching right now with with Tyler Beatty. That's incredible. And I, I I hope that we do not see him do it again this week. That would be yeah. bad. <laughs> that would be really bad. Um but I do hope that he can keep it up. And and if it means that he has to scale back a little bit and Yun or some other guys have to step up, so be it. But like so far Tyler Beatty's been incredible. And you sometimes you just got to step back and go, I appreciate this good thing that's happening to my team. How awesome is that? He's my favorite player to watch on this football team. There, there's no doubt about it. He He's the reason, even if things did not go well for the rest of the season, he's the reason to continue to tune in. Absolutely. Uh, the reason, though, Nate, to tune in for Mizzou football recruiting right now, there's one guy. There's one guy. You, you you can talk about whatever you want with the class, with mm-hmm. what the future looks like for the class, how many guys they're going to take. I'm not sure Missouri's recruiting anybody other than Luther Burden at, <laughs> at this point. Like, I'm sure they are. But for us in the media and I'm sure for Mizzou fans, it feels like everything is revolving around one guy in particular. And we finally got an update this week on one Luther Burden. Did you see what he did to that poor California team? Oh my God, dude. And that was one of the best teams in the country. Like if y'all haven't seen it, it's on Twitter somewhere. I think Dave matter, maybe power Mizzou tweeted it out. I don't remember, but like it was, it was a highlight reel of like three plays and they're just the most ridiculous (laughs) plays I've ever seen. He, he takes a a punt on the second bump and shakes off not one, but two guys and just, waltzes into the end zone like just like oh no big deal it it was just the most astounding thing i've ever seen so my god luther burden is uh he is he is getting close to winding down his recruitment um this friday so we're recruiting or we're recruiting haha we are recording there we (laughs) go uh on the 15th uh, it's the last we heard is that he is going to whittle his list down to three, officially three, uh, this Friday. And then that, so that'll be, it'll be the 17th. And then a month later on October 20th, apparently is when we're going to get his official full commitment. 
So we're a little, little more than a month away from finding out if one of the most dynamic athletes uh, in the history of the Missouri, Illinois area uh, chooses to play for the Tigers or not. And um, I, I don't know, man, I am so excited. <laughs> I am so excited to hear this announcement. I know that heartbreak can be just around the corner, but I, I'm feeling good and I'm terrified of it. I'm feeling good as well. Everything seems to be indicating that uh, Missouri is in a good spot with Luther Burden right now. And I've got my fingers crossed that that is absolutely the case. I watched those same highlights that you did. And who boy, he is impressive, mm -hmm. man, in every possible way. When you think five star wide receiver, Luther Burden is what should come to mind mm -hmm. because he is. I always use this term because it's something that Eli Drinkwood said when he first got to Mizzou that has stuck with me, but he, he called wide receivers touchdown makers. Mm -hmm. Luther Burden is the definition of a touchdown maker. He has seven already so far in his young high school football season. That is through three games going up against three really good teams and CBC DeSmet and one of the top teams in the country and St. John Bosco. That is easier for you to say than for me to say, mm -hmm. apparently. He had two, two and three touchdowns. And that doesn't include a touchdown that he had against CBC <laughs> that didn't end up That's counting right. because it was called back. Yeah, he's unbelievable, man. When he touches the football, he's scoring and it's. <laughs> It's it's ridiculous. Oh, by the way, he's their kicker and their punter as well. Also that, which is okay. I got it again. I understand the podcast is not a visual medium, but I, I just have to say these words out loud because it's just absolutely flabbergasting that a high school player can do this. So they're lined up in a punt formation. Luther Burden is the punter. He takes the punt, does kind of a half chop step and then just runs and he just Eats the entire team to the sideline and just keeps like they, they knew it was happening. And he still he still was able to get the first out and much, much more after that. I just. I I can't even I can't even tell you, I, I want to see him in the Mizzou uniform right now. I can't wait yeah. to see the what, three years that we get him if, if he decides to commit like it's just, oh, it's going to be it's going to be delicious. And uh, I can't I can't wait. I can't wait. Can I give you his punt return statistics so far? Please just pour it all over me. Luther Burden on a punt return so far this year has returned four of them. Uh huh. They have gone for 190 yards and two touchdowns. <laughs> he, he is averaging. And again, a reminder, this has happened against CBC, who is the top team in the state. St. John Bosco, who was one of the top teams in the country. Those are where the four returns came. <laughs> DeSmet was like, uh-uh, we ain't punting to that dude. So in those two games, he returned four punts for 190 yards and two touchdowns. He's averaging 48 yards per return. I'm sweating. Yeah. I'm sweating. I'm Kids. He's real good. He's real, He's real, real, good. real good. Real freaking good. He would come in tomorrow and be one of the best receivers in the SEC. Yeah. Yep. That, that like, forget Mizzou. He would be your number one option by a wide margin. Mm -hmm. He would be one of the best receivers in the conference, which means in the country. Yep. That that's where he's at. Yep. And I'm not over. I'm not overstating this. I try not to hype up recruits in general. This is different. <laughs> This this dude is just different than everybody else. Yeah, that's uh, that's incredible.
And I think he's coming to Mizzou. I certainly like so to keep take your that. fingers crossed. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll hear on Friday what the final three is. Expect Mizzou and Georgia to be in there. Um, and then a little more than a month after that, we will get the official word. And uh, I guess he's enrolling early. So if he, whatever school he chooses, he'll be on campus in January. Um, yeah, that's it. I can't wait, man. Cannot wait. But along, along the recruiting lines, uh, one other interesting note that happened this week, um, he can't forget where you got it. I saw it from Sports Illustrated. You saw it from Sports Illustrated. I mm-hmm. saw it from the ESPN outlet. I saw Matt Brown from Extra Points write about it. Um, but there's a report going around that the oversight committee um, for F- Division One football is considering a proposal that would allow teams to temporarily go over the 25-man counter limit in recruiting classes. Now, if you go back and you think, why, why did this happen in the first place? The 25-man limit was put into place so that schools uh, basically didn't sign like 50 kids in a recruiting class <laughs> and hoard all that talent like Bear Bryant did in the 60s and 70s and then just chase them off when it didn't pan out. So you want to make sure that programs have access to this. Um, like, yeah, I think like in the fifties and sixties, like those army teams, those Navy teams, they had like a hundred scholarship players on the roster. You you don't want that. So the NCAA put in a 25 minute, li- 25 man limit per recruiting class to make sure that the talent was, was spread out. But when they met, they were meeting about the issue with roster management in regards to the super seniors and how, you know, five years of classes have an extra year lumped on. But what they did instead is they addressed the transfers, the era where you can transfer one time without a penalty, and they decided to address that. So when you have a situation where a kid can choose to transfer without any penalty, a school could risk falling under the the 85-man roster limit for years if they, for some reason, suffer like a ton of attrition via transfer and like, you know, even two classes. Like think of Kansas. Think of Kansas under Charlie Weiss when he went all JUCO and then those kids graduated. They were basically trotting out an FCS amount of scholarships for years because they could only bring in 25 kids at a time. And they had lost way more than that and continued to lose that while they were trying to build up their team. So this proposal, on a temporary basis anyway, is to kind of recruit, uh, or sorry, recruit an initial counter for every current player that transfers up to seven players with a max of 32. So that means like if a school has a bunch of kids hit the portal, they could essentially hit the portal themselves, replace them and go like seven over 25, which is 32, but not more than that. So that a program is not set back for years because a bunch of kids leave via portal. In other words, Schools basically just got seven more people that they can get into this next class, because if you want to use it, you can use it. Right. So I think this is interesting and it does change some of the roster math that we talk so much about in the offseason. I don't think it really does a damn thing to fix the actual problem, though, that was at hand for college football. I agree. Because the problem for college football is not that these teams are scared they're not going to be able to add enough players via the next recruiting class. For most teams, and I'm not sure Mizzou fits into this category, but there are others. For most teams, the problem right now is that they've got a logjam of a lot of dudes that are on the roster. So there are a lot of teams around the country that are looking at taking 
15 players in this year's class. Mm -hmm. And that's not because of the transfers or because of caps that are on the recruiting class. That's because everybody was granted the extra year of eligibility. And if guys decide to take that, and we don't really know how people are going to do that thus far, we, we haven't really seen any sort of evidence yet because we haven't gotten into the first class of it. If guys decide to take that extra year of eligibility, you're looking at a lot of teams that had planned for the four-year path for their players that now have to plan for five years mm -hmm. on that path, or in some cases, six years with the redshirt year on that path. And that's where things get very difficult to be able to plan moving forward. If you've got guys that are using that extra year that were juniors last year and are seniors this year and will come back the following season, now it becomes tough to be able to plan for what this next year and then the year after that looks like recruiting-wise. This is not about the transfers. It's not about 32 versus 25. The problem that a lot of these coaches are looking at right now is, how do I get to 25? And that's where these transfers are going to come in for a lot of teams. Yeah, I mean, we, we've we cited before, uh, Drinkwood said it during SEC media days, that they were kind of looking at just taking 14, maybe 16 during the season, figuring out who transfers at the end of the season, and then, you know, kind of opening back up, like, hey, if you want to commit, do it now. So, again, like, this helps a little bit, but you still have just a butt ton of people, especially in that 2025 graduating class from college, um, just like you said, log jam, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of dudes on the team. Um, and like, yeah, we understand that transfers are going to be an issue and like they are, they always are, especially going forward. But you know, what what do we do about the, the current issue? <laughs> like the actual issue. And they didn't really address that. So maybe this, this frees up, uh, recruiting to a certain extent, maybe Missouri feels, you know, capable of taking more kids before the season is over. I don't know. Haven't asked them. They can't really talk about recruiting anyway. So there's no point in asking, uh, at least as far as specific players go, but um, it's just something to keep an eye on. The rule hasn't passed yet. Maybe there'll be some tweaks. Maybe there won't, uh, but it's something that's at least on the table. sounds like they're acknowledging one tiny little thing in a room full of many things, um, but they're, they're working on it. And um, yeah, if it comes to fruition, we'll let you know, but like, yeah, that's just, it's more just, okay. So we got some, a little bit more wiggle room, but certainly not enough to clear out the actual problem at hand. Yeah, for what it's worth, I do think for Mizzou, this might actually be helpful. I don't think they're going to end up getting past the 25 scholarship players in this year's uh, recruiting class, like with freshmen. But if you're adding in transfers mm -hmm. to that and whatnot, maybe you could get close to that 25 man class. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's more this was more important for Mizzou than it is for a lot of other teams around the country because of how many guys have transferred from Mizzou over the last 18 months or so mm -hmm. so it it does help here locally more so than elsewhere but college football as a whole this really doesn't do a whole lot to address most of these teams issues yeah so we'll see we'll see what teams respond and and how that affects everything going forward if this rule passes at all i'm sure it will but we'll see if we're talking about it this thing's gonna pass probably if enough enough, enough people are talking about it yeah it's 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 gonna pass and then we get to the actual thing at hand because it is game week we do have SEMO on the board. We talked a little bit already what we want to see from, from Mizzou. We're assuming they're just going to beat the tar out of these guys. Um, but other than the fact that we want to see young guys, other than the fact that we think it's going to be a beat down, and other than the fact that you think it's going to be fast, I mean, there really isn't really isn't much to talk about it. Do you know how to get onto SEC Network Plus, BK? Have you figured that out yet? <laughs> I've got my ESPN app ready to go, my man. Good. 
Yeah, that is where it's going to be. Uh, you can access a lot of that stuff. I know some people are on the Disney package or the ESPN package or, you know, YouTube TV stand up. I'm standing that all day, every day, but like figure it out now. That's where your Tigers are going to be at 11 o'clock. Did you see that coach Steck, uh, Dave Steckler, our old defensive coordinator is going to be at the color guy. Yeah, I love it. It's great. I can't. Is he going to say pony pony up like or he's going to giddy up is what he used to say. And then he Mm -hmm. went. uh, Yeah. uh, Then he went to Missouri State and kind of morphed into a bear thing. But like, yeah, I'm number one. He was not much of a talker when he was at Mizzou. Uh, I know he didn't give a lot of insights and he kind of kept the media at arm's length. So I'm really interested to see what happens when he's no longer a coach. Um, Trying to figure out if he's going to be like a super deck is funny. You're going to be surprised at how funny Steck is Um, off the record. Steck is a really funny guy. So I'll be interested to see how much of that you're able to see on the broadcast, how much he like lets his guard down. Mm -hmm. But if he is himself, he'll be really good at this. Well, I think that's worth tuning in on its own. I'd love to hear what he has to say. And obviously, you know, it's going to be a beautiful day in Columbia. Your Tigers should win easily. That's what you always want to see anyway. And maybe we'll see some, uh, some future stars take the field for the first time. So it's all good stuff. Uh, it should be an automatic win. If not, we will do an emergency podcast and cry about everything that happened. But uh, expect expect good things. SEMO uh, is not a pushover, but they are an FCS team, and Missouri's way more talented. So that's the that's the book on that. Um, BK, any last thoughts before we get out of here? I don't think so, man. Hopefully, when we talk next this weekend, we are talking about an easy Mizzou win, mm-hmm. no real concerns whatsoever, and we can go into next week talking about what is going to be another swing game on mm-hmm. Missouri's schedule against Boston College. That's going to be a big one, but hopefully for this weekend, it doesn't feel that way. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all types of feedback. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. Of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. We will be back uh, Saturday, maybe Sunday, record the post-game show, tell you what everything happened there. Uh, but we appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, I'm Z-O-U.